Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. I've got distinct pleasure of being seated with a group who has authored one of the Best Paper Award winners here at NIPS. It is by far the largest group that I've ever interviewed at one time on the podcast. And so I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves and please name, role, title, affiliation, and maybe while you're at it, a little bit about your research and areas of interest. Thank you. So I'm Arthur Gretton. I'm a professor at the Gatsby Computational Neuroscience Unit at University College London. So my research interests I generally in how to represent and compare probabilities. So on one hand, if you've got you know two groups of objects, you're trying to tell whether they're similar or different. That's one of the problems that we might address. Another is in reasoning. So if you're observing something that might have an effect on something else, you want to know how strong that effect is and how confident you are in whether that effect exists. Right. Thanks, Arthur. Hello, my name is Witawatjit Gritam. I'm from the Gatsby Unit, University College London. I'm a PhD student studying computer science. So my interests are statistical tests, hypothesis testing, and a bit on Bayesian inference. Okay, great. Kenji? Hello, I'm Kenji Fukumizu. I'm a professor at the Institute of Statistical Mathematics in Tokyo. And I'm basically interested in statistics and machine learning. And my interest is also ranging from the mathematical aspect of machine learning to the application of machine learning. Okay, great. And Zoltan? Hello, I'm Zoltan Sabo from CMAP, Center of Applied Mathematics, Ecole Polytechnique France. I'm a research associate professor. Generally, I'm interested in information theory, kernel algorithms, how to define similarities between many different objects, graphs, time series, dynamical systems, vectors, and how to apply it in different information theoretical context, including hypothesis testing. Okay. Who wants to tell us about the paper that you guys submitted? So I'm happy to do that. So the paper is a goodness of fit test. What this means is that we have some model of the world and we want to tell whether that model reflects the world well or not. And if not, why not? So an example that we used in the talk was that if you have a model of where crime occurs in Chicago, you might want to know whether that model accurately predicts where the crime will occur. And if there is some shortcoming to the model, you might want to know where that is. As an example, we used a rather crude crime model, which was mistakenly predicting crimes in the lake uh, next to the city, where clearly there weren't any crimes. So this <laughs> would automatically flag those. Uh, so there's no piracy at the moment uh, in Chicago. So this is a specific uh, instance. The difficulty we encounter with this is that if the model that you have of the world is very complicated, then it can be very difficult to compare this with data. So in our crime example, imagine you know trying to figure out whether it's, it's likely that somebody's going to commit a crime or this is going to depend on their social network, on you know the state of the economy, on the political atmosphere, and, and so on. All of these things are very complicated and interact. So you can uh, state what the interactions are, but then to figure out 
how these all combine uh, to create a probability is impossible. It's just not mathematically feasible. Nonetheless, we might want to know when our test has difficulties and the way that we've formulated it, our test is able to decide on, on the or, or to, to locate the mismatch between data and model without having to figure out these probabilities and, and do this impossible computation. Mm. And what was the title of the paper? So the title is A Linear Time Kernel Goodness of Fit Test. Linear Time Kernel Goodness of Fit Test. How is this, you know, are there a standard set of goodness of fit tests that folks would use otherwise? So in certain simple cases, there are goodness of fit tests. So if you have a very uh, simple model that you're comparing with, like a simple Gaussian, then there are other goodness of fit tests. In the case of the Gaussian, we don't have this complexity that I mentioned where you have, you know, many interacting effects that make computing probabilities in closed form impossible. Mm -hmm. So what we have uh, you know, tried to address is the case when these models are very complex. Mm. And what, out of curiosity, what brought you all together from disparate parts of the world? Yes, we are like frequent collaborators. So Zoltan used to be at Gatsby Unit. We worked together before. I and Arthur also frequently visit Kenji at the Institute of Statistical Mathematics. So okay. it's kind of <laughs> okay. frequent collaborators. And so with the, you know, when I think about a best paper, you know, there are lots of reasons why a paper might win best paper, you know, broad applicability, elegance of the solution, and others. You know, why do you think this paper was selected as one of the best papers for NIPS? I think it's a combination of broad applicability and the analysis that comes with it. So one, I guess, key thread in, in modern machine learning is like the formulating generative models for complicated data. So one of the key research directions of DeepMind, for example, is reinforcement learning. Mm -hmm. They want an agent that is in a world and that is able to learn from that world. What this requires in practice to train it is a simulation of the world, which is very realistic. So one important I guess, component of that is to know when your simulation of the world is not accurate. What is it missing? Mm -hmm. I think for this reason, a paper which is able to like troubleshoot these models of the world that people might use in practice is, is of uh, very much interest across the, the community. I think sort of coupled with this sort of very applied, I guess, uh, benefit is that we have some nice theory results. So one of the phrases in the title was linear time. So the time that it takes is no more than the time that it takes to sort of look at each uh, item. Quadratic time means you sort of have to look at all pairs of items, so that becomes very expensive. So what another result that we showed in the paper is of the various ways that one could derive a linear time goodness of fit test with the properties that we've, we've talked about, the way that we've proposed is provably better. So it's, it's going to give you a test which has a, the number of true positives, I should say, is going to improve faster for this test than for the, the other uh, alternatives. Yeah. When you say linear time, is it linear in the number of examples or the number of distributions that you're trying to fit to? Or? So linear in the number of examples. So okay. we, we have a single model, uh, you know, our, our crime map of Chicago, and then we're looking, it's linear in the number of crimes. Yeah. Okay, okay. How does it work? What's the process for applying it? So this goodness, this new goodness of fit test takes in two inputs. Okay, the first one is a model. Okay. For example, in the crime, uh, Chicago crime example, the model. Let's say we want to model spatial density of robbery events in mm -hmm. Chicago. Say, 
So that's going to be the model. Then just some density function. The second input would be a collection of points. In this case, it's going to be observed uh, robbery events. Right? Each point is just like latitude longitude coordinate of one event, for example. Mm -hmm. and, and the way that this works is that the test constructs some function. It is essentially a scoring function that tells where the mismatch is between the model and the data. And once we have this scoring function, we can then use it to find sort of a region where the mismatch is the largest. And then uh, we can pinpoint, okay, that is where there's a mismatch. And then this is how we uh, criticize the model. So in the end, we will get a region indicating, okay, this is where the model uh, doesn't fit quite well to the data. And then as a modeler, they can just uh, improve the model based on the hints or the evidence given by the test. So when you say region, region of what? We're not talking about a region of the map of Chicago. We're it talking is about actually a region, oh, the region of, of, map. of the map. Yeah, like okay. physical okay. region, actually. Yeah. And does that correspond to, you know, if we're not talking about a map example, because right. it sounds like this applies more broadly, right. how, what's, what's the generalization of a, a region? Right, so the technical term would be, it's going to be the domain where your data live in. So whatever that domain is, so I don't know. So you typically, I guess, if you have data represented as a table, mm -hmm. uh, then you have many columns, then I guess columns correspond to the number of features or the number of attributes. Then let's say your data lives in RD, where D is the number of columns, then that is going to be like the equivalence of the region that I mentioned. So it's going to identify regions in your feature space? In the feature space, yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Let me give you maybe two other examples because uh, okay. this paper is, in fact, uh, part of a larger, uh, let's say, package of hypothesis tests, linear okay. time hypothesis tests. And we use this uh, technology in, uh, for example, computer vision or natural language processing. Mm -hmm. In the first case, uh, you have, uh, let's say, images of, uh, let's say, happy or uh, sad people. Okay. And then the question is uh, whether you can detect the difference uh, between the two emotions or if there's difference, which, uh, let's say, muscles uh, are responsible for this difference. Okay. In case of the, so that's the domain in this case, uh, let's say, muscle activities or uh, parts of the face. In the other application, natural language processing, uh, uh, we had, uh, let's say, documents from two different topics, categories, like uh, neuroscience, Bayesian inference. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the question was, again, uh, whether these two possibly different topics uh, can be discriminated. And if, if this is the case, what are the keywords uh, you should look at? Mm -hmm. In this case, there's a domain. Uh, what are the most distinguishing keywords? Mm -hmm. So in the, in the case of the first example, you, uh, in applying this result, you would identify, for example, regions of the face that what? That distinguish between the emotions or? Yeah, so that's right. So for instance, if you had sort of emotions that required you to frown or to, uh, yeah, uh, to put the sides of your mouth downwards, like you're unhappy, uh, which causes the sort of lines on each side to, to stand out, these would be the regions, the spatial regions in the face, which distinguish the sort of contented emotions from the angry or, or upset emotions. So yeah, so the domain is, is sort of all of the possible regions in the face, just the spatial domain, and then the salient regions that matter in distinguishing them are the locations around the eyebrows and, and to each side of the, the nose and mouth. And so this, one of the areas that it sounds like this plays into is the domain of explainability of AI models. Is that one of the primary motivators as well for this research? 
I think so, yes. Because, yeah, it, it's basically a way of showing the shortcoming of your model, like what it is that your model fails to explain about your data. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, yeah, explainability is, is really one of the uh, region, reasons, I think, that the paper was uh, given the award. Yeah. And we are using a more and a more complex model recently. Mm-hmm. And so it's very important to, well, say that whether that model correctly reflects that data. That's our motivation. And so what are the requirements of the model that would allow us to apply this? Is it applicable to a black box set of models or do we need to know something about you know, either the models or the distributions of our data or uh, other things in order to apply this t- technique? So it does need to be a probabilistic model. So by contrast, one might think of these adversarial networks where there you might not have actually a model of the probabilities of the images that it's generating if it's generating images. So what we do require is that we're able to, you know, write the model as something that, you know, if, if you were able to, like, to normalize it to, to take the sum over all possible states would be a valid probability. Some ways of, of generating data from randomness just take the data and apply a bunch of transforms to it, but it's not clear how or if you could uh, turn that into a probability of the outputs given the random noise that you fed in. We are only able to deal at this stage with the case where you have this you know, thing that you could write as a probabilistic model where you're able to, to normalize it. Okay. And maybe taking a step back, what was the fundamental realization or innovation that kind of led you down the path that led to this paper? It sounds like, Zoltan, you mentioned this paper is one in a series of of works, Um, but what inspired this particular result? Zoltan mentioned it was one of a sequence of works. So the first work was just in comparing sets of objects. So in in Zoltan's example, sets of faces with positive and and, uh, negative emotions. So Mm -hmm. notice that model never appeared in that description. It's just I have Mm -hmm. set A, set B, and I want to know why and where these two sets are different. Mm -hmm. The second test in the series was a test of whether two things are dependent. Mm -hmm. So as an example, if you show to a human some movie, then their brain will be active in a way that depends on the movie that they're watching. And so this dependence... You see, can we take a step back and as you talk through each of these uh, papers in this sequence, kind of what the key results were as well? Ah, Sure. So for the first paper, we were able to show, again, a, a linear time test of where these two sets of, of objects were different. Mm-hmm. So again, it only costs linear time to compute. So that means linear in the number of objects that we're comparing. And we were also given a diagnosis of where it was that the two sets were different. And so my first, you know, kind of flash intuition on this would be to try to do some kind of difference or something like that and maybe convolve the images together or something is, are you thinking about it in the same domain or more like from pure probabilistic, you know, perspective or... So we, we need to think in terms of sets of objects rather than objects. So, uh, for example, if one looks at you know a pair of faces, you can take their difference and you right, can see right. where that difference occurs. Okay. If you have two sets, uh, it can be that the mean is the same, but one set has a higher variance than the other. And so we care about any difference that might occur between two sets of objects. Okay. So the, yeah, the second paper was about uh, dependence testing. And in this case, again, we have a linear time test. We also care about dependence that might be uh, quite complicated. Uh, so 
the dependence that you might learn in statistics 101, you notice that, you know, when one thing increases, like, you know, I, I press down my accelerator, my car goes faster, so <laughs> linear dependence. Uh -huh. What we might care about is dependence that is much more complicated than that. Uh, for example, like if you're adjusting a parameter on a robot arm, it might on average hit the same target, but it might be that if you uh, underadapt the robot arm, it's you know half the time above the target, half the time below. So the variance is going up depending on this parameter, even though if you just looked at the means, you would get the same mean. So this you know this is a very trivial example, but illustrating this this sort of complexity of dependence. So that's you know first of all testing pairs of samples, second testing dependence, and then this led us to say well what if we don't have you know two sets of samples, but a sample and a model, what's the best way to approach that? And that led to our third paper. Okay, great, great. And does the sequence continue? What's next uh, for the group of you? So one possible future work is that continuing from the third work, which is, so now that we have a model and we have one data set, right? Mm -hmm. But in practice, in reality, most of the time your model is probably wrong. And you know a priori that it is it is probably wrong, but now a more relevant question is: given two models that are wrong, two competing models that are wrong, which one fits better? That is, this is now a model comparison instead of so. The current version is model criticism. There's only one model. We try to criticize where it goes wrong, but now we can also extend to two models that we know are wrong, but we want to ask: okay, which one fits better? I think this is one possible direction. And then maybe which fits better where as opposed to exactly, a binary exactly, that are worse. So exactly, this, this that's sequence what we are could continue. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> nice. For the rest of you, any kind of parting words as we wrap up? There's another possibility of extension. So here, uh, all these linear time uh, tests, the underlying assumption is that the probabilistic model lies on uh, essentially on, on vectors like D-dimensional uh, Euclidean vectors which is possibly the simplest concept to understand. But uh, one might argue maybe uh, there are some dependencies between the coordinates somehow. So like if you, for example, think of graphs or like images, not all the pixels can uh, vary completely independent. So, so often there, there's some underlying uh, low dimensional structure in the background, hidden under the hood. So that's another possible direction to extend uh, this framework. Awesome. Any other thoughts? How's NIPS been for everyone? Hmm, great. It's uh, been <laughs> hectic. <laughs> yeah. I'm very impressed by NIPS giving award to this work because this is the age of artificial intelligence and uh, many people are looking at their application with deep learning. But uh, our research is very basic ones, mm -hmm. but uh, we are using in any method, we are using many complex models mm -hmm. and the model criticism is a very important and basic uh, research and uh, I'm very happy that uh, NIPS gives respect, well, such type of basic work. And there was a call here at NIPS, somewhat controversial call for kind of more basic work and more rigor in the way we look at machine learning. Any uh, thoughts or comments on that? It sounds like you would all agree with that general, the general idea. So there, there was an inspiring call to arms, which has uh, caused a lot of discussion. And in a way, I think it's it's also a call to arms that is already being acted on uh, in the sense that this year there has been a lot more thought about 
fundamentals of algorithms that are being used very successfully in the past two years. Mm -hmm. One example that was raised in this call to arms is understanding when you're optimizing a model with a huge number of parameters, as deep learning methods are, mm -hmm. uh, what the uh, pathologies of these optimization methods are when you know correlations cause you to converge very slowly or converge poorly. Mm -hmm. Many of the, I guess, presentations by the optimization community, the SNPs, were actually addressing that. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think, you know, there was a, a standing ovation, as you know, when, when this call to arms were made. And I think that's because, like, the, the spirit of, of this uh, Ali Rahimi's words was very much in the air, that people were saying, okay, let's, we've, we've got this amazing success on applications. Now let's uh, understand, you know, what's still holding us back and, mm -hmm. and where, you know, and, and then that will help us to progress even further. Mm. Great. Well, Arthur Witwat, Kenji, Zoltan, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to chat with us about your paper and congratulations on the award. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank Thanks you. Our pleasure. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for your continued feedback and support. For more information on Arthur, Witwat, Zoltan, Kenji, or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimlai.com slash talk slash 100. Of course, we'd be delighted to hear from you, either via a comment on the show notes page or via Twitter, directly to me at at Sam Charrington or to the show at at Twimlai. Thanks once again for listening and catch you next time.